the Talent Experience Podcast featuring authentic conversations on the future of work. Empowering you to better understand and deliver a best-in-class, future-proofed career experience. For more insightful conversations, visit talentexperiencepodcast.com. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, I'm John Holland, and welcome to the Talent Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Heather McGowan. Heather is a future of work strategist who helps leaders prepare their people and organizations for the post-pandemic world of work. She's co-author of a new book, The Empathy Advantage, Leading the Empowered Workforce, that will be published by Wiley next month. Heather works to transform mindsets and entire organizations around the globe with her message about how the next phase of work will focus on continuous learning rather than simply learning once in order to work. Exciting stuff, lots of changes going on. So Heather, welcome to the Talent Experience Podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. It's my honor to be here. Great. You know, I was um, pleasantly surprised when I found out about your book and the title of it really grabbed me because um, around this time last year in March of 22, I was at the uh, HR Transform conference in Las Vegas. And this was probably the first conference <laughs> I'd been to after the lockdowns started to open things up. And what surprised me, and I came back and told all the people at Fuel 50 about, was how much discussion at that conference was about empathy. Mm-hmm. There was a tremendous about um, tremendous amount about it. And it was all centered around how leadership needs to be more empathetic. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure this happened to be predicated on, you know, people had been working at home or in some cases in a hybrid situation. But boy, everybody thought empathy was was, was like a really big deal. So that's why I wasn't surprised when I saw your book, because it seemed like, aha, somebody else heard that too. So talk a little bit of what, what made you want to write a book about empathy in the workplace. Well, there's a few different things going on. So first of all, empathy is the underpinning of all innovation. So you understand uh, what a customer needs based upon uh, understanding something they possibly can't even articulate themselves. So that's one level. Um, Empathy after a pandemic is understanding what people have gone through. And frankly, I don't think we've even processed what we've been through. And then third, and this is where really the book comes in, is most leaders are leading teams of people who have skills and knowledge they don't have. That wasn't the case not that long ago. That is definitely the case today. So if that's the situation, how do you lead that workforce? Because it's not by making decisions in certainty. It's not by command and control. It's how do I inspire these people? How do I help them connect to each other and collaborate? Because not only do they have unique knowledge from the leader, they have unique knowledge from each other. So they need to work together collectively in order to do that. And I think empathy is the key to unlocking that. Well, you know, at the conference, there was a lot of discussion around around empathy. And sort of the vibe I got was that leaders need to more be more empathetic given what workers and employees have gone through over the last couple of years. Because yes. it was a particularly trying time. I mean, even if people were happy working at home, um, everybody was still kind of up in the air on what's coming next and such. And they felt there was this leadership gap when it came to empathy. People 
at the top in management positions they were dealing with didn't seem to have a whole lot of empathy for what people were going through in many cases, not all, of course, but um, did, did that play into your book and into your, into your thinking and, and what you write about in the book? Yes, absolutely. So we've lost, you know, over a million people in the United States, somewhere around one to one out of every 300 children is lost a primary caregiver in this country. So it's going to impact not just this generation, but the next one. So when I said we have not even processed it, I'm, I'm being sincere. I don't think we've even understood the magnitude of what we've been through. So it wasn't the empathy we needed the last thousand days. It's probably the empathy we're going to need the next thousand because we have unprecedented levels of burnout depression and anxiety, and it's particularly acute uh, in Gen Z, the, the, the generations that's just entering the workforce that will be 30% of the workforce by 2030 that we haven't wrapped our heads around. So it's certainly for the things they've been through, but it's also to connect and motivate them for the much larger, larger than this moment future. Where do you think that leaders stand when it comes to empathy and being more empathetic with the people who work for them. What What's your take on that? I, I know that you talked about, um, I was reading, leaders today must acknowledge and respond to the fundamental shifts that lay uh, the foundation for effective leadership. How are leaders buying on into that? Is this flowing from them? Is it flowing from the workers? Is it flowing from a combination of both? What what did you find about this? So it's it's not necessarily flowing for the workers and it's a mixed bag in terms of how they're doing. It is the part of the overall zeitgeist. I mean, the workforce is empowered. We have a labor shortage. So the workers are, are feeling that power. And it's, you know, it might, the pendulum might have swung a little too far to the workers, it's, but it's not going to go all the way back to the employers where it was before, where they could just dictate the terms of everything. You once changed your uh, exchanged your loyalty for security. That security hasn't been there for a very long time. And so now folks are saying, no, I, I want not just work-life balance. I want work-life integration. And for that, you need to understand what I've been through, who I am. You understand, Empathy also works to understand your consumers. It's, it's incredibly powerful, but it's a massive shift in how we pick leaders. So we used to pick the leader who was the unquestioned expert who could make decisions in certainty, who could drive productivity with domination, fear, and sometimes humiliation. Now that all backfires because you can't make those decisions in certainty. You don't have all that information. You have to understand your people, what they've been through and what they can contribute that you don't even understand. So it's a massive shift that's beyond just the trauma of the pandemic. Trauma of the pandemic, very important, but it's bigger than that. Do you think it's possible for leaders who weren't particularly empathetic before the lockdown to um, embrace empathy now? Do you do you, do you think that that's that that's possible? And are you are you seeing it? It's sort of like asking me, could I run a marathon? <laughs> I mean, not today, but with some training, you know, we all have the potential. We have a certain amount of potential. So certain managers will become more empathetic. Some may become very empathetic. It's just sort of like, what's your what's your potential and how willing are you to work at it? You know, I saw that one of the things that's in the book are these five interlocking trends uh, that that you say brought us the empowered workforce, the great resignation, the great refusal, which was a new one to me. I had not heard of that one. The great reshuffle, 
the Great Retirement and the, and the Great Relocation, which collectively delivered the Great Reset. Can you talk about those a little bit? Sure. So the Great Resignation is one that people sort of understand and that some people see that as encompassing everything. I think that's a very big movement, um, but it's not new. Uh, churn has been increasing in organizations since 2009, since the last recession. It's been building and increasing. And, and so we've we've sort of understood the great resignation as being something that was 2021 to 2022, till it turned out more people quit their jobs in 2022 to 2023 than 2021 to 2022. So it continues to increase. And that jobs report we had the other day, 517 million jobs, 517,000 jobs. We didn't see that coming at all. So we definitely have uh, an empowered workforce. Churn is going to increase. Uh, Gardner says it's going to be up about 20%. So that means the great resignation means your talent is mobile. Um, the great retirement, I don't know why this was a surprise to anybody. We've been talking about the boomers as long as I think I can remember. We knew there was going to be a big wave of boomer retirement, but we seem to be caught off guard with it. We also haven't done a good job of retaining um, some of the knowledge from the boomers and, and creating job sharing and fractional jobs to engage more boomers in the workforce because we need the knowledge that they have and we also have a labor shortage. Um, the great refusal was folks saying, you know what, I'm not getting punched in the face for $7.50 an hour anymore. <laughs> if we had kept uh, minimum wage you know, on pace with pre-pandemic inflation, it would be on the neighborhood of $22, $23 an hour. So we're way off base. Um, the Great Relocation, Upwork says about 19 million people in the U.S. are looking to change locations uh, based upon where they want to live, and they'll figure out how work fits with that. And then the Great Reshuffle, the Great Reskilling, both words are used, is half 53% of the people who left their jobs between 2021 and 2022 changed careers or industries. So that's people working to their potential. So that's a lot of movement, and collectively that gives you the Great Reset. It's almost like you have to meet your workforce anew today. Do you think uh, you see companies or organizations that are that are that are doing that that you can you can point to, or is it just sort of happening in bits and pieces here and there? It's happening in bits and pieces here and there. There's some organizations that are doing a better job at it than others. Um, I think the tech, largely tech-driven layoffs are getting all the attention right now. They're a small percentage of what's going on. I think there are some great leaders out there that are doing a, a really good job trying to engage the workforce. Well, you know, one of the things, too, about the tech lay, the tech layoffs, which I agree with with, with you, they're, they're getting a lot of attention, as a lot of the tech things seem to, um, but... Uh, uh, they also are, have jobs posted. I saw some someplace Microsoft, which just laid off ten thousand, has a thousand job postings up, and it makes me scratch my head. You know, they're laying off people on the one hand, yet they're also hiring. And I know that there's always to think, well, these are positions where the people who we had couldn't fill. I don't buy that completely. Mm -hmm. um, you would think that some of these people could have been maybe reskilled which is what you keep hearing that companies need to be need to be doing. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's very strange. Yeah, I can't wait till we're done with the fill and spill model. I mean, it's never been, <laughs> it's never been a good idea because you lose an incredible amount of tacit knowledge to gain a small fraction of explicit knowledge you think you ha don't have and you don't know that the potential is in there in your organization. I mean, I love what Fuel 50 does in terms of you're a talent mobile organization, talent mobility organization, you try to help people find and, and develop the talent within the organization that you already have. And then you get loyalty. Then you get trust. 
then you get the real fuel behind an organization is when you retain and you help people grow to the next best version of themselves. Yeah, that's the whole retention part of it, which you don't hear a lot about. Although there's a little bit of, I'm finding on LinkedIn skirmishing between recruiters and managers pushing retention more than recruiting, which I sort of think maybe that recruiters are feeling threatened a little bit, that if there's more retention, there's less people that they have to, to find. I don't particularly think that that's like a big problem in the long term, because there's always going to be a need for more for more people. You know, we've got this shortage of workers, but it's just sort of funny that there's this push and pull between retention and recruiting now. Yeah. Um, what if you had one thing that 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 you 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 think that you tried to write the book for and you want people to get out of it what would that be i want the folks to understand that if we we have never in my opinion unleashed the potential of as many humans possible we've met and picked people with special skills we've trained them and we put them in positions of power to have incredible impact and that's great but we have not unleashed our human potential in mass. And I think if we focus on developing people in your organization, if you think about your goal in an organization is to develop your people to their to their highest level of capacity. If that was a mission of an organization, I think the value we create would be unprecedented. And so in the book, we say that we got to make four shifts. First, uh, a mindset from managing processes to enabling success. And that's developing people. Second, uh, it's a cultural change from peers as competitors where you pit them against each other like they have redundant knowledge to realizing now they all have unique knowledge and you need them as integral collaborators, so it's peers as collaborators. Third is a shift in approach. Extrinsic pressure not work to learn and adapt at the speed, scale, and scope we're going to need. So punishments, threats, and rewards are insufficient. You need to help people connect with their own internal drive that motivates them to learn and adapt on their own. And empathy is really an important part of that. And then finally, it's changing behavior. We do not need the unquestioned experts to drive productivity with domination or fear. We need humble, curious learners who can inspire and um, create inspiration and effectiveness without burnout. And that takes knowing your people. How much of a challenge will it be to get leadership in general and managers specifically to buy on into this kind of kind of th thinking because it's very new it's very new from you know i've been in the workplace for like a long time and the thing that jumped out of me at hr transform last year i had never heard empathy talked about in you know 40 years of work and then suddenly i'm at a conference coming out of the pandemic and everybody's talking about it so clearly people the term resonated with people at the conference, which are mainly mid-level HR professionals, but still, those are those are people who drive a lot of what happens within, like you know, um, uh, companies. So, um, do you think this is going to be something that leaders buy into that they get that they're going to do, or is it going to be one of these things that we've seen in the past where they're sort of drug dragged, excuse me, kicking and screaming into this? Um, some are some have already embraced it. Some are embracing it. Um, some HR leaders have long been waiting for this when they look across the organization. Some will resist it um, at their peril, in my opinion, because if you don't focus on unleashing the potential of your people, you're not focused on unleashing the potential of your organization. It's that simple. 
human activity, human ingenuity is the driver of 90% of the value plus in an organization based upon a recalculation of the S&P 500. So people are the greatest assets in your organization. If you focus on unleashing their potential, you will realize the potential of your organization. Do you think empathy flowed out of um, so many people working remotely and now in many cases in a hybrid manner? Um, I think it's a combination. I think that the working from home, you know, you might see my dog run behind me or, you know, my wife walk into the room and then you start to see my whole life. So you see more of someone's life, their kid come into the room or their husband's sick or what have you. You see the reality of how they live. It's not something they leave behind anymore. So on one hand, I think some empathy came out of that. Um, I also think some empathy, and this is where we still have work to do, came out of what we've been through. I don't think we've processed what we've been through. This has been really profound. Um, plagues reorder society. The bubonic plague gave us the renaissance. The 1918 flu gave us the roaring 20s. I think the COVID pandemic is giving us a completely new era in work, and I think it does begin with empathy. Well, it would be wonderful if if a new renaissance or a new roaring 20s flowed on out of this. Um, but I think you are right is that we don't really even know, you know, how bad it was and how it affected so many people. Mm -hmm. Um, although I did just see a story today that something like, you know, 50% of like offices don't have, don't have people. Um, and so, uh, I, I think right now the next big battle is going to be over whether remote work is a viable thing moving ahead. Certainly there are certain jobs that can't be done that way, but a lot of jobs can can be. And uh, uh, there were a lot of managers I know before the lockdown didn't want people to work remotely and had to sort of swallow that. Now they're starting to think twice about it. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that's, it's the wrong fight. I think what happened in the in the pandemic is people got agency, not just over their personal lives, but the integration of their personal and professional lives. And some of that came from where work took place, but it also came from the ability to do work around your life. Pick up your kids at soccer practice, you know, drop your mom off somewhere, see your father to a doctor's appointment. You know, suddenly we realized that we wanted our lives, that they're really important, that we're not just living for our resume, but we're also living for our eulogy. And that thousand days made us really think about the preciousness of life and the fragility of it and how we make meaning. So I think the fights over where we takes place really is a is sort of a just a symptom of something much bigger. Well, that is a great note to end this on. And as always, these discussions go really quickly, and I wish we had time to talk about a lot more things. But we really appreciate being here. Heather, thank you for taking the time to be with us. It's been a great conversation. We wish you great success with the book. When exactly is it out again? Is it the first week in March? Yeah, March 8th, the book comes out. It's available, of course, with Amazon. Try to support your independent booksellers. I like to, to say that as well, any of your, your local places, but it can be found in a number of places. Pre-orders you can take now. There'll be an audio book in a couple months. Kindle should be out now or soon. I mean, should be available for pre-order now or soon. Great. And again, the title of the book is The Empathy Advantage, Leading the Empowered Workforce. I got to get myself a copy because that's right up what I like to like to read about. So thanks again for Fuel 50's Towel Experience podcast. This is John Holland. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Talent Experience Podcast. For more talent experience and future of work conversations, visit talentexperiencepodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at TalentXPodcast. Or join the conversation with hashtag Talent Experience Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. The Talent Experience Podcast was brought to you by the fabulous Fuelies at Fuel 50.